Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. All right, good morning, Mercy family. Good morning. Good morning, Mercy Northeast. Good morning, Mercy Union County. Guys, it's so good to be together. Uh, This is crazy what I'm about to say to you next Sunday. We're going to wrap up our study in Ephesians. And the week after that, y'all, we're in Christmas season. This is crazy. I know, right? Some of y'all are already playing Christmas music, and that's a problem, but I don't got time to preach that sermon, okay? Um, Listen, I do want to say we call the way we um, talk about the Christmas season here at Mercy is we call it Advent. Advent is the Latin word meaning arrival. It's the term the church has used throughout the ages to celebrate and kind of label the Christmas season. And we do it up here at Mercy. You can go to our website and see all the different ways that we do it up. You'll see our Christmas Eve service times, which is on a Sunday, I think, and it's really convenient this year. But um, not only are we talking about Christmas Eve services, we're also going to have um, a great family devotional. We're going to be given to families, I think, next weekend. They're called the Advent Blocks. Um, my wife and I have used those to disciple our kids through the season for years. We're excited to give those to you. Uh, we're going to have a missions offering where we're going to get the chance to give financially to bless not only our community here in the Charlotte area, but also the ends of the earth, getting the gospel further faster. But there's one that I want to bring up, um, an opportunity we're going to do, and that's that we're going to serve our community over the course of Advent. We have got a hundred slots that are like volunteer opportunities to serve alongside of some of our volunteer, um, our ministries in the community that are not not ours, but we partner with them. Uh, And we want to introduce you to them if you haven't met them yet. And so we've got a hundred slots. Here's the deal. Uh, These average about three to four hours with a hundred different opportunities. That's like enough that um, a church, we kind of need everybody to hop in, but our church is just big enough that you can think, ah, oh, somebody else will do that. No, no, I want you to be thinking, where are we going to serve? And when I say we, I mean, maybe it's you and your roommates, maybe it's you and your family, you and your community group, go online there, figure out where you guys can hop in and serve, all right? Which is a great segue into our sermon, because today is all about serving others. We got your Bible, Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21. Uh, I am talking fast because I got a lot of ground to cover and I'm caffeinated. All right, here's what we're going to do. If you remember the theme of Ephesians, I'll bring you in if you're newer to Mercy, kind of introduce you to where we are uh, in the Bible and in our sermons. We just try and walk through passages of scripture together. And that's kind of what we do around here. Usually just go start one, pick it up and then go to the next. And we've been in the New Testament book of Ephesians. And kind of the theme is life in Christ. The first Three chapters of the letter talk about what it means to be a Christian. And then the second three chapters talk about what the Christian life looks like played out in the different arenas that we live in. So by this point, end of chapter five, beginning of chapter six, we are deep into the practical side of things. And today, oh, so, so practical, all right? You can't escape how practical this is. This will not be one of those Sundays where you can leave and be like, I don't really know what the sermon was about. Nope. Um, There's one application 
the writer keeps on making over and over, the Apostle Paul talking to the Ephesian church over and over, he keeps saying, we Christians should cheerfully serve others like Christ served us. He said it in different ways. He's put it in different contexts, but over and over he keeps coming back to our lives should have this posture of giving our lives away, serving others at cost to ourselves because that's what Christ did for us. That's it. And y'all, that's our call to action today, okay? It's gonna be serve others as Christ has served you. And if you're like, oh, great, check it off. Let's get out of here. Get out of church early. Whoa, 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 whoa. Here's the deal. If we all got this, I think it'd be fair to say that our homes, our church, our workplaces would look very different than they do right now. The problem today, as in much of this letter that we've been going through, it's not our ability to understand it. It's our openness to receiving it and living by it. It's our willingness to take our faith out of this room and put it into everyday life. And today gets very real. Now, the great news is an invitation I want to just extend to those of you who know there's plenty that are here at Mercy Week in, Week Out. We're very honored that you don't believe yet. That's not where you are. You're kind of investigating Christianity. What I want to tell you, I'm not calling you first to practice. I'm calling you first to hear the great news of the gospel for you because that's what the Bible does over and over again. Is It first calls you to hear what God says about you, about his love for you. But I promise you, when you see this stuff played out and when you begin to live it out of a relationship with Jesus Christ, it is deeply fulfilling. There is deep purpose and joy in this life I'm going to describe to you today, all right? And so I want you to hear it out. Now, our first verse is the umbrella verse for all of the stuff I'm going to talk about today, okay? Ephesians 5.21 says, it kind of picks up almost right, right in the middle of a sentence. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's our first verse, and it's our link to what we talked about if you were here Last week, he's talking about the church. He's saying we should sing to one another. We should encourage one another. We should then, he adds in, submit to one another all out of reverence for Christ. It means die to self to serve another. That basically, this is the ethos of Christianity. Like if a church is healthy, this is what it's going to look like. Dying to self to serve others. All right. Now that's really, really big. That's the, I went ahead and made this easy for you today. Title of the sermon, big idea of the sermon, action step out of the sermon is all the same thing. Okay. Really simple. What can I do to serve you? That's the application of today is you asking that question to the people close to you in your life. What can I do to serve you? It's a little bit of a weird question to say out loud. Okay. What can I do to serve you? It's going to be a tough question. Here's the way this goes. It's going to be a tough question um, for some of you to answer. You don't, you're a helper and you don't like it when other people ask you. You just want to help others. You don't want to be helped. That's going to be a big challenge for you. I get that. All right. Some of you are, um, <laughs> I was thinking about this. Some of you are moms of like little children and I'm, your pastor's like, hey, I want you to go ask other people what can I do to serve you? And you're like, I am dying, man. Like, uh, if you want me to serve somebody else, how about I call you at 2 a.m. and see how you're doing right now when I'm up again with these kids. Here's, I want to just say this out front, kind of let a load off for you. Um, I remember a pastor saying this a long time ago when Courtney and I had little kids and I was listening. And he said, um, said, listen, there is no excuse for anybody who is a Christian 
to not get up every morning and meet with God in the word and in prayer. He said, unless you're the mom of a child four or younger, <laughs> in which case God loves you and it's going to be okay. All right. Your church loves you. you calm down. You're go it's going to be okay. I promise. Um, but for the rest of us, dive back in. All right. This is going to be a hard question. Some of us, honestly, if we're what kind of to serve you, we don't want to ask it. We don't want the inconvenience. Life is full. And I don't know what that person's going to say back if I, if I say it. And maybe the mistake we make is thinking a full life is equal to a packed schedule. Maybe the full life is actually margin to serve others. And today might be the confrontation you need to stop running for yourself and start living for others. Y'all, the lived experience of the church, what we're going to see, it's got to be brothers and sisters in Christ intentionally thinking, how can we serve one another as Christ has served us? How can we die to ourselves to meet the needs of others as Christ has done for us? That is love. Now, what's going to happen is this Ephesians 5.21, big umbrella passage. Paul's then going to take that idea of serving others, and he's going to apply it to three big arenas of life. These are like training arenas, okay? They're not the only three, but they're three big ones. It's going to be marriage, and then parenting, and then work. And if you're like, well, uh, I'm in the 10th grade. This doesn't apply to me. Or I'm a junior at Queens, or I'm single. These don't all apply to me. You might jump to the conclusion that some or all the sermon, therefore, isn't applicable. Let's just remember a couple of things. First, the big idea, what can I do to serve you, is not conditional on what arena you are in right now. Okay? It's not. What can I do to serve you? That applies to roommates, friends, wherever you are. Secondly, I want you to remember that this whole letter, the letter to the Ephesian church, was written to the whole church. And they were reading it out loud. They got the letter gathered together, and they're reading it out loud in a setting where there were couples, singles, kids, grandparents. God wanted everyone to hear what he was saying to everyone. He wanted couples without kids to hear him talk to parents. He wanted singles to hear him talk to couples. He wanted employees to hear him talk to employers. So don't tune out a message God intends for you to hear because you're not in that exact situation right now. And lastly, uh, along those lines, some of you may find yourself, if the Lord has it, in one of these arenas. You're not in it right now, but you may wind up there one day. And it's good to be asking that question as you go into it. What can I do to serve you? Um, this is like three sermons all in one. So hold on. We are going to move, okay, through these texts. I will say, uh, man, have I felt it. I am the preacher of this message, but also the recipient of this message. As we talk about marriage and parenting and work, I'm like, I have failed in all three of these areas this week, okay? So the practice what you preach is literally what is supposed to be what the preacher does, right? And I struggle with it, so I'm receiving it as well. We start, we start in marriage. This will take the most verses today. This is a passage very well known, starting in verse 22, very well known in Christian circles. But let me say, if you're new to church, new to the Bible, the way that this passage starts might like catch you off guard a little bit, okay? So stay calm. I'm gonna read the whole thing all the way to verse 33, and then we're gonna unpack it together. So let's just, let's go through it. All right, you ready? Yeah. yeah. All right. Pastor Brett here at our Providence Road campus is ready. Um, and the rest of you need to get ready. Let's go. Here we go. 
Verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. And in the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So to sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Now let's talk about this, remembering our umbrella verse, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. He says the arena of marriage, the first of three arenas we're going into, is a picture. You see what he does there? It's a picture of something eternal, something that is more enduring than marriage. Hear that. Before we talk about your roles, look, verse 32, the mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. He's saying marriage is a mystery. And any couples with any amount of years under the belt will be like, yep, that's what I have learned as well. Right? But the meaning, the real mystery is in the meaning of your marriage. It's to point both you and your spouse and those around you to something more lasting than your marriage, to something eternal. Like, guys, your marriage is temporary. Should the Lord allow you to be married this side of eternity, you will not be married that side of eternity. Right? That's Matthew twenty-two thirty. For the end of the resurrection, they're neither married nor are given in marriage. And by the way, if you're like, what? Sorry, I don't have time to go in any further than that. Okay, just gotta study your Bible. All right, but that's the deal. So look, part of why you're married, your purpose is to grow in Christ-likeness together to point to something eternal. And the eternal thing is God's love for his people, his relationship with his people, to the love between Jesus and his church. So as you hear him talk about husbands and wives, remember, the point is not about you. The point is about God's love for his people. It's about Jesus and actually about Jesus making you more like him. Now, let me say at the outset, that's very practical. It should be very practical for those of you that desire to be married, but you're not married yet something you desire. It means when you're choosing a spouse, you need to choose someone who will help you become more like Jesus. Not someone, by the way, not someone who is a perfect picture of Jesus already, because that's nobody. There is no perfect picture. Jesus is the savior you're looking for, okay? Not the husband or the wife. You're looking for a partner instead. You're looking for a partner who will help you become more like Jesus. And you the same for them. The way um, Kathy Keller, um, Kathy and Tim Keller wrote a book called The Meaning of Marriage. It is awesome, okay? Had the great joy. I spent a whole lot of time in this book. I, I helped them write a study guide for it. So I deep dove in it. And one of the things she said that really has stuck with me is she said, when you're deciding on a spouse, what you need to be thinking of, don't look for the statue of David. Instead, remember that you're looking at a, just a raw block of marble, and what's going to happen over time is God is going to chisel out of that block of marble 
the person that he has created him or her to be. And the question you need to be asking is, do I want to be a part of that? And do I want that person to be a part of God doing that in me? The world around us says, look for someone who won't change you at all. Look for someone who will just kind of be like a, a really great accessory in your life to enhance your overall life, but not change you at all. Well, it's kind of crazy, y'all, because you're going to change anyways. Like you will not be the same person in 50 years that you are today. Uh, Stanley Harawas, an ethics professor up at Duke, he said, um, he's you know, married about 40 years. He said, I've been married. He said, said, I've been married to one person for 40 years, yet I've been married to five different people. Right? Because we change all the time. And that this is what makes the biblical picture of marriage so powerful. Is that, man, I know there is something. There's a better version of me, a chiseling away to look more like Jesus that God wants for me. And instead of giving me just an accessory to stroke my ego, he gives me a partner to help me grow into that image. And in my case, I get to help her do the same. That's a powerful purpose. Well, how does it work? Well, in the articulation of the roles of husband and wife, what the Bible does here is it celebrates gender differences, showing how we participate with one another, husband and wife, in what almost feels like a gospel dance. Both husbands and wives embracing their roles in the dance. Now, I warn you, as we look at this, you're not seeing a lot of examples because the Bible's true for all times and all cultures. So it's always going to look different in different expressions, but it should be consistent in underlying belief. So I'm going to give you a little here. We can't take our whole sermon. Like I said, we've got two more arenas. But husband's talking to you. He says, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And your role in the dance, verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. So yes, husbands, you are called by God to a position of leadership. Wives, this is the role God has called your husband to. I believe that's the clear reading of the text. But let's look at this. How? How did Christ lead the church? Through sacrifice. He gave himself up for her. Like that's your take home. Verse 25, husbands, a husband serves his wife. What can I do to serve you? A husband serves his wife through sacrificial leadership. The nature of the leadership is super important. Yes, you are the head, but you are not to lord it over your wife. Instead, you are to lead through sacrifice. What does this mean? It means most of the time, husbands, you don't get your way. That's just it. Uh, wait, uh, I heard one guy tell me, he said, it matters of preference, you need to bend like a reed. And then when matters of principle arise, you stand firm like a rock. But it means for a lot of times, you're not going to get your way because you're dying to meet her needs. Also, when you start looking at verse 26, it means you're the primary agent of loving spiritual encouragement in our life. This verse 26 is a little odd in first, right? To make her holy, this is what Jesus does for the church and then what husbands are supposed to model. To make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. What's that? This is talking about spiritual leadership here. He takes the lead in applying scripture to her life so much so that it's like he washes her with God's word and others in his family. He sees her, he sees what she's going through, and then he takes God's word and he speaks life over her. And guys, I know some of you are like, yeah, man, but here's the deal. My wife is way more knowledgeable in the Bible than me. She's just spiritually way out ahead of me. Okay, listen, this isn't about knowing more than her. 
Marriage is not a competition. In fact, all you really got to do is go home tonight. You want to start somewhere? Take her hand and pray over her. God, thank you for this woman. Thank you. She's amazing. I don't deserve her. Help me to love her like you love the church because she deserves it. Amen. And just start there. And then I want you to build a routine of getting in the word and paying attention to your wife. So you see her and then you speak that word from God's word over her. Now I will say, don't preach at her. Let me say from a preacher that she's not going to like that. Okay. So maybe some experience. All right. Instead, look, you're speaking life. Maybe a little test here. If her emotional security were based solely on how you speak to her. Now, thanks be to God. It's not. She's secure in Christ. But if, if it were her emotional security based on how you speak to her, how would she feel? Would she feel cherished? Would she feel valuable, loved, beautiful, gifted, seen, known? Man, where do I start? Okay, some handles. This is the write it down stuff. Go look at the passages that talk about what a woman of God embodies. Go look at passages that talk about what a Christian embodies, okay? Uh, look at, go look at 1 Corinthians 13, where it talks about what love looks like. Get real familiar with that and familiar with your wife and start showing her where you see that in her. Go to Proverbs 31. Show what a godly wife looks like. Go to Song of Solomon and have a field day applying, okay? Look, <laughs> man, whatever it is, speak God's word over her. Start breathing life into her. And then he says to the wife, submit to the husband's leadership. Verse 24, in everything. And remember... Remember, the Bible is not beholden to our modern liberal conservative spectrum, written long before that by God, way smarter than that. And this is often taken out of context, but as I've said at many of your weddings, God is calling the wife to the most profound picture of the gospel, this role of the church. Let's talk about what this does not mean. It does not mean it's not a license for a man to dominate his wife as if she is there to do his bidding. This does not mean a woman should submit to physical harm or abuse of any kind. And this does not mean all women submit to all men or anything like that. Y'all, this is a word from God to wives. Which, by the way, husbands, don't try and jump in between her and the Lord. Be like, hey, do you hear what's going on? No. Let the Lord speak, okay? What does it mean? It simply means God has called you to yield to the husband's final responsibility before God, for your family. You work together, you cooperate together, and if there's a difference in something you're working through, he has a responsibility before God to die to self and lead the family towards what is best. And you have the responsibility to encourage that in him and to follow him in that. Um, the way Tony Evans uh, is a pastor, and he, was, he did like this talk on marriage, and Courtney and I, when we were getting married, we listen to it on cassette tape, okay? So that's, yep, that's how old I am, all right? Listen to it on cassette tape. And one of the things he said is, headship and submission is God calling the wife to duck so that God can punch the man, okay? That's kind of what's happening here. Now, what does it look like in practice? And the Bible doesn't give a lot of details on purpose, like I said. True for all places at all times. 
I will say submission clearly is not simple obedience. And a lot of times that's where things get wrong. We actually, the next two arenas are going to use the word obey and intentionally it's not used here because submission is, is a yielding to responsibility as opposed to some simple obedience to a command or something like that. I will say it doesn't mean you only follow him when what he's doing agrees with what you think. That's called agreement, not submission. Right? So there's going to be some times where you're yielding to his responsibility. It's going to be uncomfortable. Here's maybe a good starting place. Similar to what I was saying to the husbands. If you don't know where to start, just start by telling him where you do see Christ-like leadership in him. Call him up to it. Encourage him. Recite your vows. You're ready and willing to submit to his leadership. Submission here in the text is positive. Look, I will apologize all day for the way scripture has been applied and misapplied, I should say but never for the Bible. There's a beautiful, rich relationship offered to husbands and wives. We're not going to apologize for it. And I would encourage you, don't reject it if you've only seen a warped version of it. And, you know, Titus 2, Paul says, younger women are to be led by older women and younger men by older men, which is why I want to encourage you to get into community where you can ask questions about how does this actually work out practically? Because when this is working right, Christian marriage is very attractive to the outside world. You need a couple serving one another through these two ways. I doubt you're going to hear somebody who's close to them, but maybe not a Christian go, man, that marriage is archaic. What you'll probably hear the more you get to know them is, man, that marriage is beautiful. Man, that's hashtag couple goals. Like we want that when we get older. A lot of people, a lot of people turned off by the Christian teaching of marriage are attracted to the Christian marriages that they see. And lastly, let me say something. This is a picture of what's supposed to happen. It's like a a target on the wall to aim at. Not always what does happen. We're called to this picture together, but we so often fall short, y'all, which is why we need the forgiveness of Christ, which is why we got to keep this. When I say a church value is keep the gospel at the center of all we do, I'm saying in my marriage, I better keep the gospel at the center of all we do. I need to go back and receive the forgiveness of Christ this morning because most likely over the course of today, I'm going to sin against her and she against me. Am I going to go and then seek forgiveness and I'm going to, am I going to be ready to extend forgiveness? We need grace. But start with the simple question one another. What can I do to serve you? That's the first arena. Takes out the most time in the text and these next two we're going to go really quick. The second arena where we apply this principle of serving others as Christ served us is the relationship between kids and parents. Check this out. Children, obey your parents and the Lord because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have long life in the land. Children, listen up. God expected you to be in the room, right? Who's he talking to? to those old enough to comprehend, but young enough to still be in their parents' home under their authority. That's different, of course, who that is, different in every era. For us, in our day, we have a group of people that fit this description called teenagers, okay? So listen, when he was talking to wives, he used that word submit, different word. For the word for you, teenagers, to your parents is obey. What's going on here? Well, he connects it to that Old Testament command, honor your father and mother, and reminds us of the promise so that it may go well for you in the land. You'll have long life in the land. Here's what's happening. Teenagers, listen, your parents 
are intended by God to be a stand-in for God during these years of your life. The home you're growing up in is the arena where you're learning to obey God the rest of your life. You're going you're gonna to be in your home with your parents 18 years, maybe 20. If we start hitting mid-20s, we need to talk, okay? But you're going to be in there for just a short part of your life. 18 years, you're going to live 80. He's prepared. What God is doing here is preparing you for a life that flourishes under his leadership. You catch that? Your obedience to your parents is actually about your relationship to God. So honor your parents, obey them, because the habits you make with them will define how you follow God the rest of your life. Look, we parents are temporary stand-ins. So you need to thank God for them, trust them, obey them, and think of it this way. When, when you see both obey and honor, think of it as both attitude and action. Honor and obey, attitude and action. Because you know that it's possible, do you know this? You can obey with a bad attitude. Maybe you've done that. We call that eye roll obedience, right? Like, fine. Maybe a better way to say it is defiant obedience. It's dishonoring to your parents. And it represents a heart of defiance. But here's the deal. One day you're going to be out on your own. You're going to be out of this training arena. And the question will be, what's your relationship with God going to be like? Is it going to be defiant obedience? Because that sounds exactly like all these bitter Christians I know walking around the Bible belt, rolling their eyes, defiant at God, but doing what they are supposed to do and checking off the checklist because they don't want to go to hell. So fine, God, I'll do it. Where you learn that? Listen, I don't want you to just feel bound to God's commandments. I want you to love them. Your parents want you to love them. Don't let that kind of defiant obedience be your life. Learn to honor your parents in attitude. I promise what he's saying here, it'll go well for you in the land. Now, I know they're not God. I know they mess up. Look, teenagers, listen, we often have no idea what we're doing, okay? Parenting you. That's reality. And still, you're called to obey them, to pray for the teenagers. How often do you pray for your parents in their parenting of you? Probably never. And that's like a really good prayer for you to pray because it's going to be good for you if God helps them in parenting you. Right? So kids, this week, mom and dad, what can I do to serve you? Now, before he leaves the arena, he addresses fathers. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Let me address fathers and father stand-ins. We've got some single moms who carry part of this role, and in some ways, this is to all parents. Don't stir up anger. When your children submit to your authority, don't abuse it. Your kids are going to get angry plenty. It's got nothing to do with you. It's got to do with them learning obedience. That's why you need the gospel. You need to remember that you and I, we have a heavenly father we rebelled against, but he didn't respond to us in anger and harshness. Instead, he saved us. And still, day in, day out, he disciplines us because he loves us. So Paul gives a positive counterpart, right? Don't stir up anger, but instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Make your parenting about them and about the Lord instead of about you and your ego, which I know is way easier said than done. So much more to be said on this. Yeah, I recommend a book for you, actually a whole ministry for you called Raising Boys and Girls. Uh, the folks that lead the ministry are Sissy Goff and Dave Thomas. Not the Wendy's Dave Thomas, 
different Dave Thomas, all right? Sissy Golf, Dave Thomas, great resource for you. Courtney and I have been helped so much by it. Let's move into that final arena. The final arena, starting in verse five, is the workplace. Now, like I said, if you're newer to church, newer to the Bible, and this Bible has kind of hit you with some things you weren't expecting, just you wait till we start in verse five, okay? Here we go. Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. And masters, treat your slaves the same way without threatening them, because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven. There's no favoritism with him. All right, the reason I said workplace it's because the closest arena we have to what's going on here is the employer-employee relationship. Here's what I mean. The relationship being talked about, the Apostle Paul is talking about here, is so far from what you and I hear when we hear the words slave and master. Because we hear the chattel slavery, right? We hear that term that existed in America. And this is something, that idea Man, that's something that's so far from this, the Bible's elsewhere going to condemn that as wicked. Paul is instead referring more like a practice of something like indentured service, where you voluntarily sell yourself into service in order to work off a debt that you owe. It wasn't based on race at all, and it wasn't for a lifetime. Was it great? No. But this also isn't talking about the morality of the practice. It's talking about how we Christians live in a socioeconomic reality of the day. And if you can see it that way, you can see a theology of work, a good Christian theology of work, which many of you have asked me about. I hope this helps. A couple of principles you see right here in the text, and it echoes the other two arenas he's already talked about. Listen, what he's saying here is to approach our work with a cheerful attitude. This doesn't say if your boss is nice, a nice man or a nice woman, then have a good attitude. No, it says your attitude is actually to the Lord and not to your boss anyway. So approach work with a cheerful attitude as an arena to practice a thankful, positive outlook given to you from Christ. And you trust the spirit in the hard times. Secondly, not only do you approach with a cheerful attitude, but secondly, aim for excellence in your work. Do you see where it says that thing don't work only while being watched? Man, basically don't do the bare minimum just to get by. And then when your boss isn't watching, you do nothing. There's this, um, our, our team told me about this quiet, this epidemic called quiet quitting all around the workplace right now where you do the bare minimum to get by and nothing more. Y'all remember, you're not there to serve your boss. You're there to serve Christ. And how you do your work is a representation of who you are in Christ. There's a theologian from the Middle Ages who said, how do you know that a cobbler, the cobbler in town is a Christian? It's because he is the best cobbler in the whole city. Right? This is why one of our staff values on the Mercy staff team is we aim for excellence. We don't always hit it, but we aim for it because our effort represents Christ. Then to those in authority, to the boss, he says, treat him the same way. Use your power to serve and lift up, not to control and oppress. Why? Because that's how Christ used his power over you. He used, you to li- he used his power to lift you up. Will you use your power to lift up those under your care? 
I got to constantly check myself on this. Now in a role where I'm a boss, I feel that weight. And a caution to those of you that are employers that oversee people, man, I can be blind to this a lot. I can be blind to a controlling posture. And I need people who aren't just yes men, yes women. I need people to be able to speak into that. So I need our elders, senior leadership team to correct me on this. And above all, I need to be close to the Lord every single day. This is why I get up and I've been doing this practice now for a couple of years. I just go through my calendar and pray over every meeting I'm having. And then I was like, Lord, the ones that I don't know I'm about to have and I'm gonna have, help me to serve others like Christ has served me. What can I do to serve you? You probably noticed something by now in all three of these arenas. Paul's approaching the end of the letter and he's saying in all of our relationships, in the church, in the home, marriage, parenting, in a workplace, in our community. He's saying in all of our relationships, we're actually really serving the Lord. That's who we're serving. So in arenas where we have authority, we use it to bless those around us. We sacrificially die to ourselves to serve them. In arenas where we're under authority, we serve like Christ. And in all of these arenas, maybe the best way to think of it is these are, think of these arenas as horizontal relationships that are directly impacted by the health of the vertical relationship that you have with Christ. When this is healthy, I got a chance here. When this is unhealthy, I'm walking in the dark here. And I'll tell you, man, last thing I'll say is the Lord comes to you with this not to condemn you, not to make you feel guilty where you've fallen short. I mean, y'all, this week, uh, this week, this is a hard sermon to prep for. I failed in all three of the arenas I brought up today. And if we were to bring up more arenas, I would have failed in those, showed you I could fail or I have failed in those too. So what do I need? I need grace. I need grace. I need to be able to go and seek forgiveness. And I need to remember that, man, when I failed Christ, he came to me in love and forgave me. And that forgiveness is extended to you. Don't walk in shame and condemnation. Walk in the love of Christ for you and then start to live this out. Maybe you just need to rest in that grace. Maybe the first person you need to ask this question to, what can I do to serve you? Is actually just Jesus. Just talk to him in light of who you are, what you've done for me. Lord, what can I do to serve you? And he'll direct you to one of these horizontal relationships. I'm confident in it. Here's the way we're gonna close our, our time. We're gonna close in a time of prayer. But man, I just felt like because of the weight that these arenas have in our lives, that we need to take a moment and commit ourselves back to the Lord to walk in these arenas as he would have us walk. To ask the Lord for help. The help against the enemy outside and against our sin nature from within. Help to break some bad habits that we've been walking in for a long time. Help to warm up maybe a cold relationship. Maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's in parenting, maybe at work. So I don't want to give us the time and space to do. All of our worship teams, they're gonna make their way up and they're gonna kind of help create a, a space and an atmosphere where we just take some time to respond to the Lord in prayer and to commit ourselves to the Lord in prayer. But the way I wanna do it, all three of our campuses, is I wanna open up the altar because I think I look back on my life following Jesus and I remember times where Courtney and I came down to the altar and prayed together. And I led in that, and husbands, you lead in this and committed our marriage back to the Lord once again. And we intend to do that again today. Maybe it's you as a couple, maybe it's your family, maybe it's you 
coming with some friends, some roommates. Maybe you're coming because you get pray through some stuff at work, whatever it is. I want you to commit yourself to the Lord. And this, there's something about the posture of moving down into a space where this is the spot where I'm committing to the Lord that I think the Lord keeps that almost like a little bit of an Ebenezer stone with us over our time. So I'm going to pray to open that time and then I'm going to give you the space to respond and then our worship teams are going to lead us from there. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the hope that we have that we are forgiven despite how far short we fall from the picture of the gospel that you call us to embody and live out. So I pray that above all, we leave here celebrating the hope we have in you. I pray for my brothers and sisters as you are convicting their hearts of where do they take their next step. Pray for the the courage to pray, (laughs) the courage to commit. Pray for guidance, pray for wisdom. I pray for joy. I pray that they would experience the joy of cheerful obedience to the Lord. The joy of remembering their salvation and then walking out of who they are in Christ instead of trying to earn your approval. Thank you that you call us son, daughter in Christ. What I want to do now is all three of our campuses open the altar now and for the next little while, let you come and pray and respond and commit yourselves back to the Lord. You come as God leads.